everyone. Welcome back to Story Revolution, episode 5. I'm excited about this week. We're going to be talking about Hacksaw Ridge. We're going to be talking about how my grandparents came to this country. And we're going to be talking about um, continuing with the story of Abram. Uh, going from Genesis 15 to Genesis 17 today. So let's get it started. Welcome to Story Revolution with your host, Michael Hernandez, your very own local Cuban. So it's kind of a random topic today, as far as or random topics today. It seems that they're kind of unrelated, and from the theme of the movie to my grandparents and their coming, um, their coming to America story, and um, and then going into the story of Abram. So if you remember last week, we kind of left off with Abram, and he was um, kind of seems to be this character that the Bible zeroing in on, and he has this promise on his life from God that he's going to have many descendants. And it sort of starts carrying him forward. It's this promise, and he's told to leave his homeland that he knows and um, to go out um, by God himself. And so he does, and he goes in faith, and um, just kind of this adventure that he's on. And uh, so we're going to continue with that. But before that, let's get um, let's talk about a movie today. Let's talk about Hacksaw Ridge. All right. So why Hacksaw Ridge? Well, one, it's one of my favorite movies. I love Hacks, Hacksaw Ridge. I mean, I'm definitely a sucker for war movies. I'm a sucker for, um, you know, just the whole idea of heroism and this idea that uh, we can be bigger than we imagine. And I love that about um, war movies, whether it's Braveheart or Hacksaw Ridge or Saving Private Ryan. Um, there's especially these war movies that are more centered on one character overcoming and getting through a battle and doing these things. There's, there's such a... There's there's something so special said about um, the human spirit, and I love that. But Hacksaw Ridge, what what's the deal with Hacksaw Ridge, and why why that movie? Well, I think with Hacksaw Ridge, if you've ever seen it and you know the story, you know that one, it's definitely got a lot of Christian undertones. I mean, the movie is about a guy named Desmond Doss, a guy who is a conscientious objector during World War II. He's somebody who doesn't believe in the use of violence or uh, murder of any kind, whether it's in war, out of war, whatever. He just can't um, reason with his faith, and um, specifically his uh, Christian faith. He's a um, Seventh-day Adventist, which is a denomination of Christianity. And he can't reason within his faith and within his worldview that uh, to kill in any form is right, but he knows that this war has to be fought, that he really truly believes that the enemy that he's fighting is evil, that um, the German and uh, the Japanese soldiers that are bomb Pearl Har- Harbor and all these things that, they're, that you know he sees he sees their ideologies as a as an evil thing that he does want to be in the war and he agrees with the war being fought he just can't find himself fighting so he says I'm going to go into this war with no gun and I'm going to be a medic and he's considered a coward by all his friends and all the uh, troop and the company that he starts training with because. They think conscience, you know, they think of conscientious objectors as cowards, and so they ridicule him. Um, you know, they they mock him, and they basically just think he's some guy who's trying to hold his morality above everybody else. And so the story really follows him and his dealing with getting into the army, with uh, trying to be respected by his soldiers, with with trying just to get into the war and just uh, what he thinks is saving lives. He thinks, you know, if everybody's going to be so busy taking lives, I might as well be busy trying to save at least one. And so that's his motto is he's just, I'm going to go in there with no gun and just try to save lives. And everybody thinks he's a coward and they make fun of him and he goes to a battle and he wins the Medal of Honor. And uh, you got to watch the movie to find out how, but it's a beautiful story of heroism. And I think 
that's one thing and one thing the story does so well is it really shows you what's possible with conviction and i think that's something that stories can do so well they take these larger um than life characters and they show you that really it wasn't um you know this guy who you might read about him this co winning a medal of honor this guy who didn't bring a gun who ran into the middle of war the middle of gunfire and saved so many men on um, this battle on hacksaw ridge and um was literally considered the bravest soldier in the battle and he didn't even have a gun and you might read a story and think ah that'll never be me but when you watch the movie what you see is these larger than life characters are usually just normal people with strong conviction and that's something that i think stories can do so well stories can can bring down um you know the seemingly impossible can bring down the seemingly unreachable kind of person this wow this this is desmond doss like he's you know he's a, he, a hero i'm just me but when you watch a story and see how he grows up and he's just a normal guy falling in love and um trying to make it in life and trying uh you know to understand and um grew up in a tough home with a uh, sort of drunk father and a mother who tried to try her best to keep things um, together but things were hard and so he doesn't when you actually listen to his story it's there's there's a lot that's special about it but what's almost so special about it is how normal it really is and how he goes through hardships and trials and everything that we all go through but he just held on to convictions that sometimes we lose and sometimes we give up on for whatever reason and he doesn't give up on them and i think stories make you realize that these larger than life characters are just normal guys and that you have a chance to be one of them too and that's why people love these kind of stories so when you tell stories to people when you tell stories of heroes of the past or maybe it's even your grandfather or your father or people that you really looked up to just remember what's so powerful about your story is that you make people believe they can live it and i think that's what we all love about stories is in the end you don't leave something thinking man i'll never do that there's a party that always thinks wow like that could be me you know and there's something beautiful about that and there's something there's something unreal about that. And, um, and again, I mean, unreal, like I say that, and I just mean like it's awesome, it's fun. I love that about stories, stories especially that focus on one person. And so I think I think uh, why Hacksaw Ridge is such a good story is because it really focuses in on one person and it doesn't try to convince you of whether he's right or wrong or whether he did this, good or bad, or whether he should have done this. It just follows him. And it just shows you, hey, this is what he did. This is what happened. This is the best that we can tell it. Take it for what you want it to. You don't have to come out of this story believing and seeing the world as we do. But I hope you understand a little bit of behind the conviction. And I hope you understand a little bit about what made him the man that he was and what made him do what he did. And so I hope it's an invitation for you whenever you hear a story to actually say, hey, maybe maybe that could, could be me. And so, yeah. I just think stories have an amazing way to uh, show how the simple people can change the world. And the simple people can bring hope into the middle of the darkest age situations. And stories have a way of showing you how the impossible really happened. How did this conscientious objector win the Medal of Honor, the first one to ever do, do so? How did he do that? And it's amazing. So I love it. Go see it if you haven't seen it. But next, I always want to tell maybe a personal story. And this one is not about me, but it's about my grandparents. And this is one of my favorite, and some one that I actually recently realized I didn't know that much about. I 
ask my grandfather and just to tell me again, just how did he come to this country? Um, my grandmother and my grandfather on both sides of my family are uh, Cuban immigrants. And they came because of uh, the revolution going on and uh, communism kind of sweeping through Cuba and um, people um, people's land was taken, people's businesses was taken, their money was taken, and um, the government um, thought for uh, better or for worse that they knew um, and that they could reallocate all these things better and that a communist state would be the way to go. Um, although it wasn't that simple with Cuba because Fidel really didn't come out and say that he was a communist, um, these ideals were sweeping through Cuba and things were changing. And so in January 1st of 1959, uh, my grandfather decided to come over to the States. This was before he decided he was actually going to move. He just decided at the time um, that he was going to start um, working there because you can make money a lot easier there. And he was going to work a couple jobs and save up money and start a little coffee shop in Cuba. So he works three jobs. Um, and that was his dream, to start this $5,000 coffee shop. Sell these two-cent little um, coffees, three-cent coffees, and five-cent coffees. And if you know anything about Cuban coffee, it will keep you wired for days. And so he worked three three jobs. He worked as um waiter in the cabaret. He worked in... A factory where they made suits, and he also sold jewelry. Um, these were uh, at a time where really only Cuban people were selling jewelry in that area. And um, the Cubans would make them by hand, and they sold them in the factory. So he was working these three jobs, and it was actually pretty quickly that he saves up the $5,000. But he goes back to visit home in October of 1960, and he just starts to see... Um, the revolution and all of its implications and all the things that were starting to happen in the government and the changes politically and socially and economically. And he started to realize that um, this isn't a place that I can stay, that they're starting to take away the big businesses, that they're starting to um, tighten down on a lot of things, and that eventually it's going to be an impossible climate for him to, to make a living and to make money. And so he started to notice these things, and he decided that he was going to stay in the States. He saw... Um, the communist state and everything that it was doing, that he saw it um, he saw it as something that made it impossible for the people to live. He saw it that while there was nice ideals, he, he saw people were going to be poor. People were going to be hungry. People weren't going to be motivated to work because nobody could really make anything. And so he left. And he went um, back to New York and he started a pizza shop. And that was going to be his way to make a living and to make a life. Or at the same time, he was drafted to the army. But at the time, he was the only person in his family working. He was the only person who had made it to the States, and he was trying to get his family over. He was the only provider. And so as the only provider for his family, he was actually um, uh, legally allowed to um, void the draft. And so first he brought over his sister. Um, then he brought over the rest of his brothers and sisters. Over time, he had to um, pay for them and vouch, vouch for them. And it was a process, but it wasn't, it wasn't extremely difficult at the time. Um, and so he continued with the process. The only two siblings he didn't bring over was his brother Daniel and his sister Marta. So he didn't bring bring them over. Um, he didn't bring Daniel, um, his brother, over until 79. And his sister Marta actually stayed in Cuba and had a pretty good life um, because her husband, um, I think, I don't remember this part exactly, but I think her husband had a pretty good position there with the government. And so he got his whole family over. And at this time, there was this visa waiver for um, for only Cubans, and so they all started to work and started to make their lives there as well. 
Um, but his father didn't want to go at the time. Uh, he was he had a life in Cuba, had a house in Cuba, and um, you know, and the money that my grandfather was sending his father was working. So my grandfather would send a little money that he made on the side, and it would go a long way in Cuba. But eventually, things got too tight in Cuba. Um, it became really impossible to live, and so in 1968, he brought um, his father over, my great grandfather. And um, but along the way, this beautiful woman came into his life. Um, and her name was Daisy, soon to be my grandma. And in 1963, they were married. But how did they meet? Well, Daisy also left Cuba, and they didn't um, actually meet in Cuba. Daisy uh, left Cuba with Poppy. That was uh, her father. And um, she actually came over in 1961. But the interesting thing about Daisy was a lot of the times with um, Cubans, the problem was that you were trying to avoid um, the military duty. So um, her brother actually came before she did in the 19, in 1960. So um, my – I don't know what that is. My grandfather's – my grandmother's brother – came first with my great-grandmother, and they came in 1960, and then um, Daisy, her father, and her little brother came in 1961. Uh, they came, and they lived in New York, and they lived in the same building as this other guy, Reynaldo, my grandfather. And so they met the first day that she was there. And it was funny, I was talking to her, and I was asking her about it, and she said she wasn't really interested the first day. She... You know, knew he was a Cuban guy, knew they lived in the same building, didn't really think much of it. Her cousin actually asked his name later that, that day, and she said that she had forgotten. Uh, I mean, my grandfather jokes that he was the only young guy in the same building, so eventually she had to she had to look at him. So they're living in this building together, and it was uh, actually on her birthday when he got her perfume um, that she started to take an interest and so one thing led to another. They finally started to date a little bit. Um, and in 1963, they were married. And three kids later and a couple grandkids later, I was born. And as we go on with more time, I'll, I'll tell you a little more about this, this story. But those two people mean the world to me. My grand, my grandfather and my grandmother, um, Daisy and Lilo, are just, they've been such a rock in my family. So I love to tell other stories and, and hear it even more and just know a little bit about them. And uh, and hopefully I can get some more details about um, their dating experience. So, last but not least, let's tell this the Bible story for the day. And this is going to be the story of Abram. So if you remember last time we left off where Abram had this promise on his life. And he had left the land of Ur. And he was going out in faith. And he had crazy adventures um, saving his nep- nephew from from war that was breaking out and um, different things going on in Egypt at the time. And it was just a lot of up and down journeying for him. It was really a lot of walking, to be honest. And he didn't have a land really that he possessed. He had was growing um, with a lot of people, a lot of servants in a big house. But he didn't have land and he didn't have his descendants. He didn't even have one son. And God kept promising him these descendants that he was going to have, and he didn't see anything. And so we're going to pick up from that part, pick up from the part where Abram has just come back from this war, had come back from rescuing a lot, um, from the war of all the kings that was going on in the land. And he rescues him, and he goes back to his home, and God meets with Abram there. 
And God says, Abram, don't be afraid. For I'll protect you. I'll multiply you and I'll make you a great nation. I'll be your reward. But Abram said, what good is all is all the land in the world? What good is all the things that I could have if I don't have a son? My servant, is he going to be my heir? Is he going to be the one that you've called? But then the Lord took Abram outside. He said, no. Your servant will not be your will not be your heir, will not be your descendant. Look at the stars, Abram. Can you count them? This will be the same as you trying to count your descendants. And Abram believed God, and God counted to him his righteousness. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Ur, and I am going to give you this land that's before you. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I believe this? How can I know that I'm actually going to possess this land in front of me? You've taken me from this land of Ur. And this land I stand in front of, it's not mine. How can I ever be sure that I'll have it? And the Lord told him, Bring me three young female cows. Bring me three old female goats. And bring me three old rams. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram did it. He cut them in half. And he laid them down, except the birds. He didn't cut them in half. And at sundown, Abram went into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness fell over him. From the midst of it, he heard the Lord say, Your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. They will have cruel slave drivers, but I will punish their slave drivers. I will leave them with all their wealth. And as for you, you will die in peace at a ripe old age. So after four generations, your descendants will return. For the sins of the people living in the land right now do not warrant their destruction. But there will come a time. So after this, the sun went down. And now the darkness of night fell. And Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass through the middle of the animals. For you see, this was God making a covenant with Abram. For usually in that time, two men would walk through the animals that were cut in half, but this time, only God did. God said, I've given this land to you, to your descendants, all the way to the Egyptian border. The land occupied by all these people groups, it will be yours. So some time passed, and Abram's wife, Sarah, she was barren. She had no son, but she had a servant, Hagar, and she had an idea. She went to Abram and said, The Lord has prevented me from having a son, but go and marry my servant. Perhaps you can have descendants through her. And Abram agreed. Abram took Hagar as his wife. It was almost ten years that had passed now that he had been in the land of Canaan. But Abram lay with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Hagar started to treat Sarah with contempt. Sarah said to Abram, This is all your fault. Now she's treating me with contempt. She's treating me poorly. She, she, she looks down on me now. And God will show who's right or wrong in this situation. But Abram said, she's your servant. Treat her as you wish. So then Sarah began to treat her very harshly. Began to be cold to her. Began to ask her to do impossible things. And so Hagar couldn't take it anymore. So she ran off. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar sitting by spring, ready to give up. Hagar, 
he said. Sari's servant. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? I'm running from my mistress, Sarah. Return and submit to her authority, he said. I'll bless you with more descendants than you can even imagine. You have a son and you will name him Ishmael. God hears is what that name meant. For the Lord has heard your distress. This son of yours, he'll be a wild man. He'll be a man that cannot be tamed. He will raise his fist against all and everybody will raise his fist back. He will be in open hostility to his relatives, but he will prosper. Therefore, Hagar called God by a new name. She called him God who sees me. And Hagar said to herself, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? And she renamed that well, Well of the Living One Who Sees Me. And still this day it's found between Kadesh and Barid. So Hagar had Abraham's son, Ishmael, when, she was, when Abram was 86 years old. And now years had passed, and when Abram was 99, God appeared again. I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will make a covenant with you. I will guarantee your countless descendants. And at this appearance, Abram fell down to his face, amazed. God said, this is my covenant. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. Your name is no longer Abram, father of many. Your name is Abraham, father of many nations. You will be extremely fruitful, and your descendants will be kings. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. I will always be with you, and I will always be your God. I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner to your descendants. So, that's all I got for today. love talking about my grandparents. They mean the world to me. And I love knowing that we all have a story. Like, that can... A story that can make it so Michael Hernandez is born in New York City and not born in a, a camp in Cuba. A uh, story that means that my grandparents are um, now consider themselves Americans. Stories that teach and show and, um, yeah. Stories that, that give a new perspective to maybe parts of history that were just notebook, uh, some notebook paper for you. I'm trying it one more time. So, Awesome talking about that today. Awesome telling stories today. I love talking about my grandparents at Hacksaw Ridge and Abram and Sarah. But I love um, Sarah. I guess it's actually pronounced because that's how it's spelled. So that's why I kind of pronounce it funny. But I uh, just love talking about my grandparents as well because I do love the fact that their story is is my story. And their story is, you know, why I'm not born in Cuba and I'm born in North Jersey. And how I ended up at TCU has something to do with that. How I ended up here in Texas sitting, uh, recording a podcast has something to do with the choices that they made. I think that's why stories are so beautiful because they remind us that there's a beautiful connectedness that we can never get away from. So um, with that, uh, just have a great day. Uh, give me some feedback on the podcast. Let me know how I can make it better. Um, yeah, guys. I'll see you later.